We are in this passage of Scripture, a long discourse from Jesus. Um, Jesus has fed the 5,000 men from a few loaves and a few fishes. And there's long teaching here in John 6. So we'll be working our way through this over the next couple of weeks. So John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. And as you turn there, let us ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word to us. For we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that You are always faithful to Your Word, that it will not return to You void. We ask now, Lord, that You would add to the blessing of the reading and preaching of Your Word. Feed us, we ask and pray, for we are hungry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been, that only one, had, had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. <coughs> when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. May God bless the reading of his holy word. And let his church say, Amen. Amen. When I was 
learning to preach. 16 years old, my dad was very excited to take me under his wing. He gave me all sorts of useful, helpful lessons about preaching, like always check your zipper before you get into the pulpit. And turn your microphone off if you go to the restroom. Things you may not always think about. But he also shared with me and taught me that when you finish your sermon, you need to go back to the back of the church and greet the congregation on their exit. It's a practice I still do today including the other two as well. Dad told me, I'll never forget this, he said, be careful of the praise that they give you on the way out. Especially if you've had to preach a difficult sermon that week. He said, one week, they'll have you in the penthouse, and the next week, they'll have you in the outhouse. If you've ever preached a difficult sermon, you know how true that is. Jesus here in John 6 is going to preach a difficult sermon. He has fed the multitudes from a few fish, a few loaves, from a little boy's meal. And the crowds are ready and excited to follow Jesus. They are ready to take Him forcibly and make Him their King. They are ready to follow Him. And yet, when we come to the end of John chapter 6, the crowds will abandon Jesus. In their minds, Jesus will have gone from the penthouse to the outhouse. Jesus turns to the disciples and He will ask them at the end of this chapter, are you going to depart too. Are you going to leave too? Like the crowds, just because the teaching has become difficult, are you going to depart as well? You know, Jesus doesn't allow us to pick and choose from His teachings like food at a buffet. We're required to eat all the food that He sets before us. We have to clean our plates. Everything that Jesus sets before us to eat, we must eat. Even the elements we don't like. And like Peter's confession at the end of this chapter, we must be ready to look at the Savior and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Here in this passage, we are going to learn that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is not just the bread of life, but the implication of that is that Jesus is the bread of life for perseverance. Those who eat from Jesus persevere in this life. Jesus enabling them to persevere. Just like food sustains our physical health, Jesus is the one who sustains our spiritual health, enabling us to live not just physically, but eternally, what we'll see in this passage. 
Well, why do some people start following Jesus and then turn away? This is the beginning of a big failure, we might say, from the world's perspective of Jesus' ministry because here in this passage, at the beginning of this passage, the crowds are following Jesus. Do you see that here? Verse 22, Jesus has fed all the people. He's fed the crowds. He's fed the multitudes. And they're looking for Him. In fact, they observe the disciples leaving in a boat. They don't see Jesus with them. They are observing boats coming back into port and Jesus is nowhere to be found among them. And so they are wondering where He is. They notice in verse 24, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, what did they do? They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Good! You should be seeking Jesus. Jesus is a good person to look for. So they are looking for Jesus. They are excited to follow Jesus. They are wanting to engage Jesus. They're wanting to hear more from Him, or so we think. So they get into boats, and they go across the sea looking for Jesus. Verse 25 tells us that they found Jesus. When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? It's interesting, this passage, this chapter is full of irony. Irony about the bread, irony about Jesus and Moses, irony about the teacher and those who are being taught. Notice how they address Jesus here in verse 25. What do they call Jesus? They call Him teacher. Did you notice that there in verse 25? They call Him rabbi, which means teacher. They're ready to learn from Jesus. Except for when He gives them a difficult teaching. Then they're going to abandon Jesus. There's the irony. They confess Him as rabbi, but by the end of this chapter, they've departed from their teacher. No longer to learn from Him. And here Jesus opens up the reason that they are seeking. He reveals their hearts, and here is the challenge to all of us. Look with me here at verse 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs. Now, we know about the signs in the Gospel of John. Jesus had been doing many signs. The signs are evidences that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus says, you're seeking Me not because you have seen many signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They are seeking Jesus for perishable blessings. And this is the challenge for each of us in our discipleship. Don't seek Jesus for perishable blessings. There's the first point of the sermon. Don't seek Jesus for perishable blessings. Notice what Jesus said to them. You're not coming to seek Me because you're putting your faith and trust in Me as the Messiah. You are seeking Me for another free meal. That's why you're seeking Me. Their motives in seeking and following Jesus were materialistic. Jesus could turn 
loaves and bread into a great feast for the multitudes, what more could He do for us? And so they're seeking Jesus to see what they can gain and get out of Jesus. And Jesus chides them, doesn't He, in verse 27? Do not work for the food that perishes. What I have given you will perish. It's just food, Jesus is saying. You eat the food that I've given you and you'll be hungry again, is what Jesus is saying. The great feast that we all enjoyed on the mountain, out in the wilderness, it won't satisfy your hunger forever. Even if you could take up those baskets of food and store them in your house, 12 baskets full of food, I wonder what happened to the food in the baskets. Well, it would spoil, wouldn't it? So Jesus tells them, don't labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Wonder some of the ways that materialism has creeped into the church and into our thinking and into our theology. I wonder what are some of the ways in which people today are pursuing Jesus for materialistic reasons. My mind immediately went to and thought of the prosperity gospel. You know about the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. It teaches that Jesus is like a butler and invites all people to come to Jesus who provides for all your health and wealth and financial needs. And if you just follow Jesus, Jesus is like a butler and, and He will make everything in your life improve. All your needs will be met. I thought about the social gospel. In the social gospel, Jesus is like a social justice warrior going about doing good, improving communities, feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor. And He invites people to follow Him to engage in His social justice conquest. I thought about the seeker-sensitive and the attractional church. The seeker-sensitive and attractional church model, Jesus is like an entertainer who invites people to come and be entertained and to engage them in entertainment so that they can be motivated. Jesus is like a, an entertaining life coach who invites people to come to Him so they can be motivated to become a better version of themselves. I thought about the superstitious church. Churches like the Roman Catholic Church. They treat Jesus like a good luck charm that they keep around so that they can feel better about the scary things in life around them. Jesus here is not condemning material goods. Jesus here is not saying that food is bad. Homes aren't bad. Material goods aren't bad. Food and drink aren't bad. Wealth is not bad. But seeking Jesus merely to gain those things is a fool's errand, is what Jesus is saying. Don't seek Jesus 
for perishable blessings. How do we know if this sin of materialism is growing in our own hearts? Think about what the Apostle Paul told Timothy to tell his church in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17-19. through 19. Listen to this. Paul says, As for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. How do you know if following Jesus for materialistic reasons has crept its way and taken root in your heart? Well, let me ask you from the Apostle Paul in this passage here in 1 Timothy 6. Are you prideful about your wealth? Now, Paul tells Timothy to warn the church not to be haughty about their wealth, not to be prideful about their wealth, not to be flashy about their wealth, not to think that their value comes because of the wealth that they own. Not only that, do you place your security in your wealth? Or do you place your security on God? That's what Paul tells Peter to instruct the church. They are not to place their hopes on those riches. They are to place their hopes on God's. And are you trusting in your wealth to provide everything that you need in your life and provide you the security that you need for every area and aspect of your life? Let me ask you this. Are you able to enjoy the blessings God has given you? Or do you hoard them? We've all seen people like that before, right? God's blessed them with home and a car. I think about a classic car. Think about your dream classic car. Maybe that's a muscle car or something like that. I'll tell you the reason why I could never own one of those. Because I would want to drive it. I would want to enjoy it. I would want to drive it all the time and enjoy the blessing of that automobile. And it would no longer be in mint condition because I would drive it. How do we know if materialism has gripped our hearts when we can no longer enjoy the blessings that God has given us? Has given to us graciously from His hand. Most importantly, I think we will judge if materialism has found its way into our hearts if we seek to use our wealth in good works, seeking to advance the kingdom of God. Do we think about how we can use the resources that God has given us to further the advancement of the church and the kingdom of God, to use the wealth that God has given us to spread the gospel? Or do we have other plans for that wealth? to pad and protect ourselves from all the uncertainties of life, gripping so hard onto that wealth that we fail to see that God has called us to be stewards of all the blessings that He's given us. Jesus warns us here, don't seek Him for perishable blessings. There are no U-Hauls following hearses. 
can't take any of it with you. You might as well use it for the glory of God. So if we're warned against seeking Jesus for perishable blessings, then what should we seek from Jesus? Well, it would make sense then. Don't seek Jesus for perishable blessings. Instead, seek Jesus for the imperishable blessing of eternal life. There's the second point. Seek Jesus for the imperishable blessing of eternal life. Notice here how Jesus freely offers that in verse 27. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Notice what Jesus is saying here. I'll give this to you. I'm happy to give it to you. Just as easy as it was for me to turn the the loaves and the fish into a bountiful meal to feed all the people, so too can I give you eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. I'll give it to you. For on Him, look at verse 27, on Him God the Father has set His seal. What Jesus is saying here is, I have been authorized by God the Father to do this. This is my task. That's what Jesus is saying. This is my work. This is my role. This is my function as the Christ, as the Messiah. What God the Father has sent me here to do is to grant the blessing, the imperishable blessing of eternal life to all those who come to me. The crowds still aren't getting the teaching. Notice the disconnect here in verse 28. Well, we want to do work too, Jesus. What work can we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus tells them, you're not authorized to give eternal life to people. That's what Jesus is saying here. Only God the Father has given to me, Jesus is saying, to grant eternal life. Your work, Jesus says here, verse 29, is to believe in Him whom He has sent. That's what you're called to do. You're called to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the imperishable blessing of eternal life. Well, begs the question then, they ask Him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? you got to love the irony here in this passage. Let me remind you again, this is John chapter 6. Jesus has just fed the multitudes. That's the sign. And they're asking Jesus, what sign do you give us for these things? Hello? These are the very people who ate the food that Jesus gave to them. That was the sign. They saw the sign, but missed the significance. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 30, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Our forefathers were out in the wilderness and God gave them bread from heaven and that was a sign for them to trust God. Well, what can you do, Jesus? I mean, you've got to love the irony here, right? Listen to last week's sermon. They have confessed Jesus to be the Mosaic prophet from Deuteronomy 18.15. They have called Jesus the prophet. And here they're referencing 
Moses completely missing the fact that Jesus is the greater Moses who has come. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You don't even understand, Jesus is saying. You don't even understand who gave you that bread. You think it was Moses who gave you that bread. and You gave your fathers the bread in the wilderness. It was not Moses who gave you the bread. It was my Father in heaven who gave your forefathers the bread that they ate. It didn't come from Moses. It was a gift from God the Father. And then he turns the attention to himself. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, that bread from heaven was pointing to me. You know the story of the Israelites in the wilderness? They had left Egypt and I think it was two months and 15 days after they had left Egypt. Two months and 15 days. I'll have to double check uh, Exodus 16, but I believe that's what it was. Two months, 15 days after they had left Egypt, they began to complain. Is God going to provide for us? The manna was a test. God was using the manna to test the Israelites. There's three tests of the manna. Number one, the manna was to test Israel's obedience to God's law. Would they obey God? Listen to Exodus 16, 4-5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be as twice as much as they gather daily. God had called them, six days you shall work, on the seventh day you shall rest. This is the test. Not just the test of the commandment regarding the Lord's day, but the test if they would obey all God's commandments. It was just a, just a sample. If they couldn't obey God's law regarding the Sabbath day, how would they be willing to obey any of God's other laws? So what the Lord tells Moses is, on the sixth day, I'm going to give them a double portion of manna. And they're to go out on the sixth day and gather up that double portion and preserve and keep some of it for the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, don't go out. You need to rest and obey the law regarding the Sabbath day. Well, you read Exodus 16 and what do the Israelites do? Well, they try to hoard up the manna for the other day so they don't have to go out on days that they should work. And what happens? The manna spoiled. And on the day when they should rest, the Sabbath day, what do they do? They go out to see if there's manna and they're angry that there's no manna from God. So the manna was a test. A test to see if they would obey God's law. But secondly, it was also a test to see if they would trust in God's Physical providence for them. Israel was dependent upon God. They had no way of 
gathering all the water and food that they needed while they were wandering in the wilderness. And so they had to trust that God would provide for their needs. Numbers chapter 11, 4 through 6, they complain. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Yeah, except your slavery. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Oh, we remember how wonderful Egypt was. We want to go back to Egypt. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. All that we have here is just the miraculous bread that God has provided for us out here in the middle of nowhere. It would be far better for us to go back into slavery in Egypt instead of having to trust and depend upon God for our physical needs every single day. This is getting so old. So the manna was a test. Would they trust God's providence for them every day physically? But also, it was a test to see if they would trust God's spiritual providence for them nehemiah chapter 8 or chapter 9 in nehemiah chapter 9 verses 16 through 17 they recount their the history of their sins before god that led them into exile and listen to what they recount in nehemiah chapter 9 16 through 17 but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. You see, the manna was a test. Would they depend upon God to fulfill His promises to lead them? Not just out of the slavery in Egypt, but through the wilderness and into the promised land. Would God fulfill His covenant promises that He had made to them? Jesus here in John chapter 6 is picking up on this long, sordid, notorious history that Israel has had with manna. Jesus is saying here, I'm the bread of God. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Where Israel failed to obey God's law, Jesus perfectly kept God's law, including the Sabbath day. Fulfilling the Sabbath day. Where Israel failed to fully trust in God's physical providence, Jesus fully depended on the Spirit to provide all his needs, not using his deity to turn stones into bread. And where Israel failed to trust in God's spiritual providence, Jesus did not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You see, it's a test, isn't it? Are we going to trust that God will make good on his promises to us, that He will provide to us not only the physical needs that we have, but also the spiritual needs that we have. 
And that's why we're called here to seek Jesus for the imperishable blessing of eternal life. Well, what happens when you do that? What happens when you seek Jesus for the imperishable blessing of eternal life? I want you to notice here in verses 35 through 40 that the bread of life will enable us to persevere. When you abandon yourself to Jesus, when you, or I should say, abandon all other means of salvation and trust in Jesus alone, eating the bread alone that He provides, looking for your spiritual nourishment from Him alone, can I tell you, the bread of life will enable you to persevere. It will never let you down. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 35. It's the first I am saying in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is a reference back to Exodus chapter 3. You remember Exodus chapter 3? God reveals Himself to Moses, and Moses asked, who should I tell them who you are? And God reveals Himself to Moses as Yahweh. The I am who I am. Jesus is identifying Himself as God here. That's what He's doing. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Like bread and water that feeds the body, Jesus provides all the spiritual food that we need to persevere in this life. When we come to Him, looking upon Him in faith, He provides all our spiritual needs. Verse 36, Jesus tells them, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus is saying, look to me. I'm the bread of life. How do we know that Jesus will enable us to persevere? Let me draw your attention to a few things in this passage here that we can have full confidence of our perseverance in this life. Look at verse 37. Jesus references the covenant of redemption here in verse 27. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You see, there was a covenant. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made. God the Father made a covenant that He would elect the people and give them to the Son. God the Son made a covenant that He would go and redeem those people. And God the Holy Spirit made a covenant that He would apply salvation to those people. And here Jesus is picking up on that theology and He's saying, all the Father gives to Me will come to Me. God the Father has made a covenant with Me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's given them unto Me. And all those He's given to Me will come to Me. There's no doubt in Jesus' mind. Whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. And here again, Jesus points to this being the reason for His mission. This is the reason why He came. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. This is the reason Jesus came. To give eternal life, to grant eternal life, and to enable those whom the Father has given Him to persevere unto eternal life. Not only that, 
but we also have Jesus' own resurrection as a sign of our perseverance. Look at verse 30. Uh, look at verse, where am I at here? Verse 39. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What Jesus is saying is, just as the Father will raise me up on the last day, so too will I raise Him up on the last day, the One who trusts in Me. How do we know we'll be enabled to persevere? Because Jesus has been resurrected. And because Jesus has been resurrected, so too will we be resurrected when Jesus returns for us. Again, Jesus says, this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This week, we were reading in the Gospel of John at home, with the kids. And we're right at the end of the Gospel of John. And we read John chapter 20, where John says that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Little Hannah looked at Dad and she said, Dad, I thought the Bible tells us everything. She just told me that Jesus did other things that are not written here. I thought the Bible tells us everything. That's a very good question, isn't it? Does the Bible tell us everything? I've heard brilliant minds say one time, very profound, the Bible tells us all we need to know to be obedient. Not everything we desire to know to be omniscient. How does all this work out? Can I tell you? The Bible tells us. We'll be enabled to persevere. Well, what about through hardships and difficulties? Yes, you'll persevere through those. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life for, for perseverance. He has given us the promise of His Word. Do you have that confidence this morning? I hope and pray that you do. I hope and pray that you look to Him to sustain you and enable you to persevere. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, You have given to us Christ and He will feed us all the spiritual food we need to persevere. Enable us to be sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Please come now by the grace of Your Spirit and impress upon our hearts the great promises of Your Word, even the promise of perseverance. For Lord, Your words are sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.